morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington. Today is Friday, March 25th. Here are some of the stories we are covering this morning. Increased funding can end global TB epidemic, says the World Health Organization. We built three tents in Limited Hospital yesterday because patients were at the veranda, at the corridors of the ward. All the beds were full. Cameroon hospitals on its western border with Nigeria get overwhelmed by the number of cholera patients seeking help. Currently, with the issues going on with Russia and Ukraine, and with all the sanctions on Russia, we are not able to supply any flowers to Russia because of the payment systems. And Kenya's tea and flower exporters say international sanctions to punish Russia for invading Ukraine have cost them millions of dollars in trade with Russian importers. Those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. Cameroon says hospitals on its western border with Nigeria are overwhelmed by the number of cholera patients seeking help. Over the past two days, some 600 cholera patients have been admitted to hospitals in three western towns. Twelve of the patients have died, and authorities say the hospitals are at full capacity. Moki Edwin Kinzika reports from Yaoundé. Cameroon's public health ministry says a cholera outbreak is sweeping across the towns of Limbe, Boya Antico, near the border with Nigeria. The government says 12 of the 600 patients rushed to hospitals in Limbe, Boya Antico died within the past 72 hours. Nyenti Anereke is director of the Limbe Government Hospital. He says the Limbe Hospital that has a capacity of 200 beds has received more than 240 cholera patients. We built three tents in Limbe Hospital yesterday because patients were at the veranda at the corridors of the ward. All the beds were full. The Tiko District Hospital, the capacity also is overpowered. The hospital in Bota is another crisis zone. To cope with the overflow, humanitarian workers are helping to erect tents at the hospitals in Limbe and Boya. Still, the government says many families are rushing their sick relatives to surrounding towns, including Motengane and Douala, a commercial hub on the Atlantic coast. Bernard Okalia Bilai, governor of the southwest region where Limbe, Tiko and Boya are located, chaired at least three crisis meetings on Wednesday. Bilai says the cholera outbreak is caused by a shortage of clean drinking water in western towns and villages provoked by the long dry season. Bilai says civilians should desist from drinking open stream water. He says the disease is spreading fast because cattle and civilians defecate in the open and in rivers. The cholera outbreak is there. Our structures, the hospitals are overloaded. Thank God that the medical officers in charge of those hospitals have been proactive and they have taken measures to receive various patients. All the patients are under treatment. Bilai said the government will provide water to arid towns like Limbe, Boya Antico and surrounding villages but did not say when. Meanwhile, health officials are moving from door to door encouraging civilians to boil water from wells and streams before drinking it. 
The government says people should also eat only properly cooked food and wash their hands before and after meals and after using the bathroom. Another cholera outbreak in Cameroon in February affected 1,300 people and killed about three dozen. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. In marking World TB Day, the World Health Organization is calling for increased funding to fight tuberculosis, a preventable, curable disease which kills and sickens millions of people every year. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The World Health Organization warns the fight against tuberculosis is at a critical juncture. It says the COVID-19 pandemic has reversed gains made since 2000 in saving lives from the infectious disease. For the first time in over a decade, the WHO says TB deaths increased in 2020. It says around one and a half million people died of TB during that pandemic year because of disruptions in services and lack of resources. Most deaths have occurred in developing countries with conflict-affected countries across Eastern Europe, Africa and the Middle East at greatest risk. The director of the WHO's Global Tuberculosis Program, Teresa Kaseva, says an extra $1.1 billion a year is needed for the development of new tools, especially new vaccines, to achieve the goal of ending TB by 2030. She says investing in the fight against tuberculosis is a no-brainer, given the benefits gained for each dollar spent. For every one dollar invested to NTB, 43 is returned as the benefits of a healthier functioning society. Ending TB by 2030 can lead to avoiding 23.8 million tuberculosis deaths and almost 13 trillion U.S. dollars in economic losses. The WHO says extra funding would allow the world to treat 50 million people with TB, including 3.7 million children and 2.2 million with drug-resistant TB. WHO officials say that would be particularly beneficial for children and young adults who lag adults in accessing TB prevention and care. Team leader of vulnerable populations in the WHO Global TB program, Carrie Vinnie, says 1.1 million children and young adolescents become ill with tuberculosis every year. Unfortunately, less than half of these children and adolescents are diagnosed or reported, which means that there is a large detection gap. In addition, in 2020, approximately 226,000 children died due to TB, And again, most of these children did not access TB care. The WHO is issuing updated guidelines for the management of TB in children and adolescents for diagnosis, treatment and prevention. Officials call the new recommendations a game changer. They say they will help that vulnerable group of young people get diagnosed and more quickly receive the life-saving care it needs. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Thousands of adolescent girls across Africa drop out of school, face discrimination and exclusion from school activities because of pregnancy. The African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child under African Union is reviewing compliance with the African Child Rights Treaty of the Republic of the Congo, Eritrea, the Seychelles, and Uganda. 
All these four countries have an obligation under this treaty to protect girls' rights to education and ensure girls who get pregnant can stay in school. Maureen Jambo reports. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, teenage pregnancies have increased in various African countries. Many girls' futures are at stake and a pan-African response is needed to save a generation. The African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child must review how countries are treating students who are pregnant and establish whether their laws and policies hinder or protect the access to education. Senior children's rights researcher at Human Rights Watch, Ellen Martinez, says many girls are not able to continue with their education once they get pregnant in most African countries. A lot of girls, particularly those that got pregnant during the pandemic and are now uh, adolescent mothers, are facing the same barriers that they that yeah, many thousands faced prior to the pandemic. So obviously the stigma and discrimination that a lot of girls face in their communities as a result of pregnancy. And rather than receiving support within their communities, many are isolated. Many are not provided with support support to be able to go to school and, and engage in other learning uh, and development activities. Over 30 African governments have adopted measures that protect adolescents' girls' rights to stay in school during pregnancy. However, Human Rights Watch has found that the levels of protection and implementation vary and that some governments often lack clear guidelines on how these students may continue with their education, leading to irregular enforcement. A Kenyan Elizabeth Wanjiru has come up with a rescue center that is also a school for teenage girls in Nyeri, Kenya. Wanjiru, who was a teen mother, says it was the most difficult moment. Again, uh, I was not psychologically prepared to be a mother. I do not know what to do with this baby. There's a lot of stigma surrounding teenage motherhood. There's the whole aspect of this girl has gotten pregnant before she's married. And everybody thinks the girl was promiscuous. In countries like Uganda, girls are required to go on mandatory maternity leave from school when they are at least three months pregnant. They are later allowed to resume schooling after one year, regardless of their personal situation. Wanjiru says, despite some governments having policies to keep pregnant girls in school, the responsibilities of motherhood force most of the girls to stay at home. Most guardians lose hope and say, will I take her back to school, then she will give birth again. You know, it is not an issue of that they are chased out. Nobody chases them out of school. The circumstances that are there are the ones that make the girl just drop out of school. Tanzania had been among countries in Africa that banned pregnant girls from continuing with education. But that has come to an end after authorities pledged to have adolescents' mothers return to school by June this year. Human Rights Watch suggests that countries should take affirmative measures to guarantee the right to education for the students. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Sacramento, California. The government of Uganda says geopolitical tensions, including the war in Ukraine and disruptions in global supply chains due to COVID-19, have led to a sharp spike in consumer products. Authorities say they are working on increasing local production and will introduce punitive measures for traders who withhold products as a measure to control prices. Mugume Rakarinji, Hasboa from Kampala. Trader Susan Nasozi sifts corn at Gaba Market in Kampala. She sells popcorn and foodstuffs such as wheat flour, cooking oil, potatoes, sugar, as well as other domestic items like soap and detergents. 
She says her clients have dropped by a whopping 70% after an increase of market prices in recent months. A person can come asking for a soap and if you tell him all her like 8,000 or 75, ah, he just moves away because they don't have money to buy that soap. Even the, the oil is the same story. Even other things like sugar, like rice, especially the, the basic needs of the people. They complain, they, they just tell, ah, for you, 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 sell, you sell expensively, they just move out. According to the Uganda Bureau of Statistics, Ubos, cooking oil has registered the highest increase of prices at 77.6% in one year. Nasuz says the price of a liter of cooking oil has increased from 5,000 Uganda shillings to about 7,500 Uganda shillings or from $1.5 to about $2 while the price of corn has risen in just one year from 1,500 to 2,000 Uganda shillings. I used to sell this, this benson, a full of it one day, but this one is, was for yesterday and because of the oil. When I sell ex expensive, they just move away. The price of round soap has also increased to more than 40% according to you boss. Mother of three, Claire Najemba, says she has had to adjust her budget because of the increase in prices. For example, her children would eat all fruits and would take some sugar in their tea for breakfast. Now, they have to forego some types of fruit and no one at home is allowed to take more than one teaspoon of sugar. A uniform, you can wash it like in a week, two times. Instead of washing it every day, you wash it in two times because of expensive over soap. I needed mangoes, apples, but they are so expensive. The consumer price index has grown from 2.1% to 3.2% for the month of January to February, according to UBOS. While addressing journalists in Kampala on Tuesday, Matia Kasaja, Uganda's Minister of Finance, blamed the price increases on international conflict. Following relative containment of COVID-19 has led to a rapid rise in aggregate demand for a number of fast-moving goods, beginning with oil, yet production levels have been constrained by COVID-19 restrictions. This has led to increase in prices everywhere in the world. The situation has been worsened by the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which has further disturbed the supply of oil, cereals, such as wheat, corn, and sunflower oil. Russia is the world's leading wheat exporter. Ukraine is number five. Together, they grow up to a third world's wheat exports. Kasaja says Uganda imports more than 70% of crude palm oil, which is required to manufacture cooking oil and related products. He says there's not much the government can do since food inflation is mainly because of external factors. Government would be the most, 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 most happiest to see these prices coming down. But the situation is, even if, by the way, even if I had to reduce some taxes. We have got international, global factors beyond our control. You won't see the price coming down like that. He says in the meantime, the government will give some incentives and encourage capital to businesses and citizens to recover from the impact of COVID-19. He says as an agricultural nation, 
Uganda should take advantage of current high global prices and increase its exports. For VOA News, I am Gume Davis Rwakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. South Africa's ruling African National Congress has reluctantly bowed to opposition pressure to debate the war in Ukraine. Parties have slammed the ANC for its so-called neutral approach to the conflict. The South African government has closed Moscow, which funded and armed the ANC's struggle against apartheid. South Africa and Russia are also fellow members of the five-nation BRICS economic bloc. Darren Taylor reports. The leader of the chief opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, John Steenhuisen, said in Parliament the government's insistence that it doesn't want anything to do with a war in Eastern Europe doesn't make sense, especially given that the entire world's being affected by it. When diesel becomes so expensive that Eskom can no longer burn its turbines and when the lights go out, they stay out, this will be our war too. When the spiraling cost of importing and transporting food is passed on to consumers who already struggle to make ends meet and feed their families, and we see a large increase in malnutrition, this will be our war too. He said rising costs because of the war would fuel instability. We are already involved, and there is no such thing as a neutral position. As the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu famously said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. Countries that choose the wrong side of history will live with this tag for generations to come. But ANC representative Candeth Mashekhod Lamini would not yield. South Africa emphasizes respect to the sovereignty and territorial integrity of states. On the 9th of September 2021, BRICS leaders have expressed concern at the continuing conflict and violence in the different parts of the world. The BRICS leaders reaffirm their commitment to the principle of non-interference in the internal affairs of states and reiterated that all conflicts must be resolved by peace means and true political and diplomatic effort in line with the international law that is the UN Charter. Mashekhod Lamini said the only feasible route to stopping the carnage in Ukraine is talk, talk and more talk. As a nation bet through negotiation, South Africa is always appreciative of the potential dialogue has in averting a crisis and de-escalating conflict. But the opposition said Russian President Vladimir Putin has shown no interest in genuine negotiations and continues to bomb civilian targets in Ukraine, even while his representatives talk with their Ukrainian counterparts. South Africa's third biggest political party, the Economic Freedom Fighters, through deputy leader Floyd Shivambu, declared its never-ending support of the Kremlin. The Soviet Union and Russian Federation are not peacetime friends of South Africa, but true friends, irrespective of imperialist sponsored master narratives about the military operations in Ukraine, which are essentially and emphatically aimed at preventing imperialist military expansion in Eastern Europe.
The EFF argued that offending fellow BRICS partners, Russia and China, would risk South Africa's preferential access to a market of 3 billion people. Our country must never distance itself from BRICS in favour of the erstwhile colonial and neocolonial masters whose interests are ruthless exploitation of our natural resources. But other parties said this is exactly what China and Russia are doing in Africa. They highlighted that South Africa's largest export markets lie not in the East, but in the United States and Europe. Being on Putin's side, they argued, has jeopardized Pretoria's trade deals with Ukraine's main supporters and would soon result in grave hardship for South Africans. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports, and for that, let's go to Abuja for Samson O'Malley. Good morning, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, Douglas. We begin the sport with the most anticipated football weekend on the African continent as 10 teams will be involved in the final playoff for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. The third round of CAF marches for the 2022 FIFA World Cup qualification will be played from the 25th to the 29th of March 2022. In the first leg ties scheduled for today, it will be Egypt who will be playing host to African champions Senegal at the Cairo International Stadium, Cairo, while the 2021 African host Cameroon will be at home at the Japoma Stadium in Douala, where the indomitable Lions will welcome the Desert Foxes of Algeria. The Babayara Stadium in Kumase, Ghana, will host the West African Derby between the Black Stars of Ghana and the Super Eagles of Nigeria. Elsewhere, in Kinshasa, it will be DR Congo versus Morocco, while Mali will welcome Tunisia till the start due 26 miles in Bamako for their crunch tie. Jerry Udo is a sport historian. He previews the first leg of the World Cup playoffs. The game between Senegal and e- Egypt, Senegal has an edge. I see the Senegalese going through. Uh, Morocco, DR Congo, I think the Atlas Lions should make it through to the, to the, cha- to the championship proper. Mali, Tunisia, uh, this is the best chance for Mali to make it through, but the Tunisians have more experience for, than them in the World Cup qualifiers, so I, I, I give the Tunisians an edge. Then, uh, talking about uh, Nigeria, Ghana, on paper, the Super Eagles of Nigeria uh, should make it through because they have better players uh, than the Ghanaians right now. And, and if we have to base it on the strength of the Nations Cup, they have an edge. But it's, to me, I will give it 55-45 in favor of Nigeria. The Ghanaians can still make it because they also know what it takes to play in the World Cup. And then uh, Algeria, Cameroon. The Indomitable Lions have an edge based on the fact that they know how to play the World Cup qualifiers. That is one of the most decisive games that I will find it difficult to predict. The playoffs will eliminate some of the top five African teams and for Osha Komushiga, who has covered some of the top football games on the continent, the continental football body, CAF, and indeed FIFA may have done some disservice to the African continent considering the seeding process. You have, uh, you know, Egypt, um, Senegal, um, Algeria, you know, that are going to play against the other teams on the other side of uh, of the unseeded uh, group. So one of those will not go to the World Cup. And that's really not fair because these are teams that can compete at the World Cup. 
Away from the World Cup playoffs, the draws for the knockout stages for the CAF Champions League and the Confederations Cup will be held on Tuesday, the 5th of April 2022. The draw will be conducted at the CAF headquarters in Cairo, Egypt. Already, a number of clubs have booked their place in the quarterfinals of both CAF Champions League and the CAF Confederations Cup following what has been an exciting group stage phase of the competition. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Douglas, in Washington. Thanks, Samson. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at vonews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead. 